Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Red Rob. All work and no podcast makes Jack a dull boy. Let's kill the light and start the show. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Huli, making the world a better place. How's it going, everyone? I am Wes. And I am Todd. And this is The Pestle, where we like to discuss movies in great detail. Uh, today, we are covering Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. If you yeah. haven't seen it, first, go watch it. This is an incredibly underseen film. Mm-hmm. But I'm also super excited that we have a special guest in the studio. Yes, we do. Canadian, no less. <laughs> <laughs> Which is perfect for this film. Yeah. That strange, magical place called Canada. Toronto, Canadia. Canada. <laughs> this is Joe Howes. Joe is a local actor um, and filmmaker. I think he's been putting on his filmmaking chops here for a little bit. And impressively so, I should say. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, man. I'm super excited to have you in here. Thank you for having one of, me. This is one of, if not my favorite actor here in Austin. Yeah, oh, I mean, thank easily. you, man. Seconded, seconded. Just, that used to be occupied by Aaron Alexander, but so glad he moved. Yeah, <laughs> now that he's gone, I think you have my vote. <laughs> seriously, every time I'm working on a project, I'm like, does Joe fit into this in any way, yeah, in any form or fashion? Yeah, right? Can I get him in here? Yeah. Um, when we did the read, when we did that that play read, yeah, uh, it was like you turned into the to the gangster guy it was um, unbelievable you're just you're fantastic (laughs) i am so thank you for joining us tonight well thank you guys i am a huge fan of the pestle i've been listening like almost every episode it's fantastic oh sorry i'm off my talk into the mic yes (laughs) yes it's not that good (laughs) yeah yeah, you are one of the people who kind of keep me excited about doing this so yeah oh right yeah. on your enthusiasm is not unappreciated yeah <laughs> right on it's like what did joe say about the last episode yeah. <laughs> okay. what did our number one fans yeah yeah, yeah. i think so, i saw you creeping outside the window too yeah <laughs> so today we're covering scout program if you haven't seen it uh definitely go check it out and we're going to be covering effects visual practical the lighting transitions some of the themes and interesting dramatic bits of the film itself, I'm sure. Uh, because I think, as good as this movie is, it speaks to everyone who sees it on a bit of a personal level. Mm-hmm. If you take like 10 seconds to actually think about the story and what's being discussed. Yeah. Um, Which is easy to overlook because it's so well done in all those other aspects. Yeah. Um, the editing included. So, mm. yes. Yeah. As a major, major part of it. Yeah. yeah. All right. So let's go ahead and read a synopsis really fast. Uh, Scott Pilgrim must defeat his new girlfriend's seven evil exes in order to win her heart. It's directed by uh, the amazing Edgar Wright, based on the graphic novels by Brian Lee O'Malley. Screenplay by Michael Bacall and Edgar Wright. Uh, and it's starring Michael Sarah, whom people have said I look like the older brother of Michael Sarah. I, I don't know how to take that. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. Oh, I'm just going to take his compliment. Uh, Michael Sarah is Scott Pilgrim. Mary Elizabeth Winstead as Ramona Flowers, Jason Schwartzman as Gideon, and Brie Larson, Allison Pill, Brandon Ruth, Chris Evans, and Kieran Culkin. This ex-boyfriend's thing is messing with my head. Exes. Why do you keep saying... <laughs> girl from earlier? Roxy? You know this girl? Oh, boy. Does she know me? 
What is she talking about? He really doesn't know. He really doesn't know. Wait. Mm. You and her? It was just a face. Just a face? You had a sexy face? It meant nothing. I didn't think it would count. It meant nothing? I was just a little bi curious. Well, honey, I'm a little bi curious. I love that scene for so many reasons. Um, super. It's interesting as they're talking about it, right? And having that conversation, that dialogue of you had a sexy phase, you know, uh, it was almost like he was willingly ignoring, you know, very willfully ignoring the signs that she'd subtly been trying to communicate to him. Like you keep saying exes instead of incorrecting me whenever I'm saying ex-boyfriends. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it finally dawns on him like, Oh yeah, it's because you know, uh, you're a girl. Yeah. 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 And it's so unassumed. And I've heard from some people that by people have it a little bit harder right now than, uh, homosexual people in terms of general acceptance because you're you don't necessarily fit squarely into one or the other and so him kind of dealing with this phase of understanding who this girl is that he's dating and not subtly and it's super subtle he's not trying to be aggressive or um, over overhanded about it but he's not quite understanding that who she is isn't exactly who he's kind of forcing her to fit the mold of. Yeah. And, and I like that they uh, smooth over kind of the political incorrectness yeah. of that because I have been in the last couple of years in conversations with trans people and I've screwed up the pronouns. Mm. And I like rehearse for that because I want to be the guy that gets the pronouns right. And just when you're talking and stuff. Right. It just comes out wrong because you're yeah, just not you're used, so used to it. To, yeah, not having to. So I like how this, this you know, parodies the normalization that the world that Scott lives in is, oh, I, it didn't even dawn on him yeah. that someone he'd be interested in could be mm-hmm. by. And I like that they poke fun at it and that they yeah. light and laugh at it. Yeah, that's sometimes the best way to kind of address social issues is to, yeah. is to mock them and, and make it fun instead of targeted. You're not a target. It's, it's all in uh, a comical nature to help ease some of that dialogue into place. Mm-hmm. Um, because he's the butt of that joke. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we usually let our guests, and you're only the third one, but <laughs> we usually let our guests pick the film, and you pick this movie. Yeah. Why? Uh, so it's funny. So I have a lot of personal connections to this film. I've been delighted to find in the past few years. Uh, but just watching it for the first time, this flew under my radar as well. I bought it with my Xbox Live account. Uh and this movie was like, it's like it was made for me. So from the very first frame, we're looking at an mm. 8-bit Universal logo. I've, I've worked in the mm. video game industry. I've been a video game fan for years. So immediately, you've got me. And then in the very next card, they make a loud and proud announcement that, hey, everybody, Toronto's not going to be standing in for Chicago or New York or Cleveland or whatever American town. This story is Canadian. It takes place in Canada, and there's going to be Canadian characters in it. Yeah. So again, they've got me. 
uh, I'm also a drummer, and I was in a lot of Canadian bands that had exposure, you know, minor exposure on a national level, and some fairly big exposure on a national level. Uh, you know, so I've been to Toronto. I've played at a lot of the clubs in this film. Uh, so oh, I, well, I've seen really? bands at Lee's Palace. I had the worst gig of my life at Sneaky... I think it was at Sneaky D's, which is in the comic <laughs> book. It's not in the movie. Mm. And uh, I think I've played it at Rocket Lounge as well. So are these all real locations that they're They're playing? all totally real locations, yeah. Whoa. And you'll see like a lot of the background stuff, like Honest Ed's is like a famous thrift shop. That there's there's a cultural oh, joke right? in Toronto that you've got to be mental when you come out of there because it's just this bewildering thing. And I love that there's more of it in the comic than there is in the movie. But in the movie, it it plays it, you know it definitely plays a role. So then there's there's that too. I've got this connection to the Canadian indie music scene, so I couldn't help but love the music. And then Ramona Flowers, um, mm. uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. I find that she looks exactly like my beautiful, hot, sexy wife. Awesome. Who is an American, and I'm a Canadian. <laughs> so this is a movie about a Canadian. Some Canadians won't admit this, but we find Americans pretty exotic. So, uh, <laughs> really, you know, yeah, it, it, it's like in this movie. Oh, she's an American. Oh, okay, really. She's on the from the Do you wrong ever dye side your hair? Tracks. Exactly. Yeah. Do you ever dye your hair? It's coming out. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> My right. wife is right over here. Yeah. So, I can't help but love this film. It's like, like I said, you know, it was made for me, and my connections to the film. So. Uh, I played drums for Leslie Feist, who everybody just knows as Feist. So yeah. she was in Broken oh, Social really? Scene at the time Which they did the soundtrack. I fell in love with her and the, her band after this. Absolutely, sure. yeah. So, yeah, I was good friends with her. I played in bands with her, and I played drums on her first solo album. So there's that. You know, Broken wow. Yeah. I did not know that. How did I not know that about yeah, you? Well, it, it, I mean, that solo album was not the one that 1, 2, 3, 4 no, was on. I know, it was like a really... I know the record. One. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, you know, Broken Social Scene is all over this soundtrack, including, you know, Metric, Emily Haynes from yeah. Broken Social Scene. Yeah. Oh, I did didn't Metric, know that. I didn't and they're the ones that. who wrote Black Sheep, you know, the Which is a great, great song that Envy Adams band, Clash yes. of Demonhead. We played. were commenting on that. Where it was, it, when I, they played, I looked at it, I was like, such a great song. And I, like, closed my eyes and rolled my head, and I was like, this is a great song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah, and, and uh, I love that they, uh, you know, Edgar Wright says in the director's commentary that whenever there's a band in a TV show or movie, it sucks. And the characters totally are having agree. to pretend that it's a good band. So they're like, why don't we? Mm-hmm. And in the comic, Sex Bob-omb sucks. I love that Edgar Wright made the decision that in this medium, how about the band rules and everybody likes them, and let's hire Beck to write the music, and let's hire right, some actual right. Canadian indie bands to really inject some you know Canadian indie energy into it, and you know, and the last thing I'm going to talk about myself one more time. Oh, yes, director of photography Bill Pope went on to direct uh, Cosmos, which is a science documentary yeah. series that I did mm. some visual effects for. So every, it's like every time I open up something and read about Scott Pilgrim, I'm like, oh, man, I feel like I'm <laughs> a little more connected to the film. Yeah, so that's why I picked it, because it speaks to me on an emotional level, and also it makes my insecurities and fevered ego, uh, Yeah, uh, it inflates me a bit. Well, you earned it. Yeah, I'll <laughs> so. be honest. Wow, that's that's great. Yeah, I did. I, I just learned like a bunch of stuff about you. I didn't know. That's <laughs> and amazing. I've been saving it just for this occasion. Yeah, well, it's perfect. I, when I first met you four years ago, I was like, I'm going to do a podcast with him one day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be a mystery. Lo and behold. <laughs> yeah. So, so last week I said that there was only two movies that I'd, I'd intentionally seen more than once, 
mm-hmm. having completely forgot Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. Because I saw it three or four times in theaters, mostly to drag other people to the movie. Right. Mm. Because I, I saw think I was it, one of them. You were. You yeah. were the very second person. I was like, Todd's yeah. got to see this. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's really hard because anytime I like desperately love a movie, I undersell it every time. Uh-huh. And I'm, I'm always trying to slyly try to get people to watch things that I like. I'm just fanatical on the inside about. And I saw this opening night at the draft house on South Lamar. They had four screens going at the same time, at just past midnight. My boss at the time, Jay, uh, who you know, yep. who now runs Tastemade, uh, he's one of the executives over there. Uh, he's, he's one of the, the dudes behind all the dudes. And he was like, hey, man, we had been working all night, just uh, working on YouTube, all this corporate stuff I used to do. And he's like, dude, what? What do you say? Why don't we just go catch the opening of Scott Pilgrim? And I'd been lightly following the development of it, and it had Jason Schwartzman, which I'm just not a big fan of him. It, it's not that I don't love him in certain roles in certain movies, but as a, in general, I don't know why he just rubs me the wrong way, and I'm just like, eh, I don't even want to watch something with him. Mm-hmm. Michael Sarah, at that point, I was indifferent about. I hadn't really watched Arrested Development, so I wasn't super familiar. And so we go, and Edgar Wright is there. Uh, he's doing. He's like introing the movie. And wow. he is just a madman. He decides, hey, for everybody coming, you know, this late, showing up to do, to this movie, it means so much to me. I'm going to give everybody a high five. And he ran up and down every <laughs> single row, giving everybody a high five. You're kidding! <laughs> it was pretty That's awesome. Awesome. And so obviously the mojo is really good as you sit down and watch the movie. Yeah. yeah. And then, like you said, that Universal logo hits, and you're like, oh, that's fun. But what really caught me is the opening sound of the the, the first frame is Zelda. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care what happens after this. Yeah. <laughs> You've already won me over. Yeah. Uh, I felt like an Alanis Morissette song come to life. And it does, man. It just rocked me yeah. from there because in that first scene, he uses Zelda like three or four times. All the little da 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 da, yeah, like all kinds of little moments. But yeah, yeah, and then the music is obviously just incredible. It feels like a comic book movie, the way a comic book movie would actually look if a comic book, as you turn through the pages, were a film. Yeah, if you use like the the spectrum of the attempt to put comic books into film. There's Ang Lee who like literally had multiple panels on screen, which didn't really didn't work. work. That's not that was that an effort work in the film medium. Overall, I kind of like that film, but that didn't work. Mm-hmm. And then you go to the Marvel Cinematic Universe in DC, where it's like we're just embracing film here. There's yeah. none of the comicness of yeah. it really. Maybe some lighting and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But this, you know, Edgar Wright said, "I want every cut to look different, as if you're as if you're really quickly reading a comic book," and that hits a happy medium because it's playing to the strengths of film and the strength of the comic book because you're never bored and it lets Edgar Wright shine where he shines best which is transitions that drive the story forward and that tell useful information all at the same time he's yep. like just a master at that heck yeah yeah and walking out of that I mean even in the middle of it I was like my god the editing in this is insane that this is all just so oh, meticulously yeah. prepared in pre-production that the editor must have been like, you want me to do what? And they're like, no, 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 we're, we're working it out before we shoot anything. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it, I, I love when a director comes on set. Well, there's a Steven Spielberg documentary on right now where there's a whole section about how a, direct, a good director, even when they're completely unsure of themselves, can't let an ounce of that out. 
You have to present as if you know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. With Edgar Wright, I think he always does know exactly what it's going to look like in the final edit. There's there's some uh, footage in the making of where he just puts Mary Elizabeth Winstead up against a black screen, and she has no idea what's going on. He did this with a few of the actors. He's like, okay, now you're now you're flirting with the camera. The camera's like the hottest man you've ever seen, and now, oh, he just said something wrong. He just said, and and they're great actors, so the emotion is right there. And then he's like, great, we got everything we needed. The the thing I love about that is as actors, especially if you've been ever if you've ever been cast on a on a major film, for security reasons, they can't just give you the script. They give you your sides. And when you go to acting classes, a lot of people want to know like backstory and stuff like that. But you have to remember your character has no idea what's happening in the moment. Your character mm-hmm. is discovering the story as it goes yeah. along. So part of being a great actor is being receptive to what's happening in the moment. So when a director throws you up against a black wall, just being able to crush it with nothing but, okay, this emotion, now this emotion, now this emotion. And where this appears in the edit is when, uh, you know, Scott is on the bus, he's getting over, breaking up with knives, and then he thinks about Ramona. He's like, okay, well, it's all going to be good because I'm with her. And you see Mary Elizabeth Winstead's flirty face in there, and it serves that story point in that really cool pan. Yep. Uh, uh, across the bus, panel, 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 panel. And yeah, ha- there's how do you plan for that? He just had to have all that in his mind, yeah, to just grab an actor and go get some coverage. That's shot listing to the nth degree. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, like the production on this had to be so much fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was going to say a lot of work, but no, that's not work. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah, yeah, because once you know what you want out of a a, a day is work. It it does turn into fun because now it's a matter of we're ahead of schedule, we're behind schedule, yeah. um, but you always know exactly what's needed. And to a large degree, you probably know how long it's going to take to get it. Yeah. And can we also for a second talk about the sound design in oh, this film, which is just as good, if not better than the editing? Yeah. Because, I mean, the editing is incredible, but even without all as, as amazing of, of editing... It, the way that they seamlessly integrate uh, the the video game sounds and the tra- yep. in the transitions and just the little things like if if some eight bit thing pops up, you have a sound with that. Even when they when they censor the curse words mm-hmm. on uh, what's her name Aubrey Plaza. Uh, yeah, I, I forgot. Yeah. Even when they censor her, like it's eight bit sounds. You know, yeah. or yep. it's video yeah. game sounds. It's just brilliant brilliant and the fight scenes and everything you know that's all that's all sound design and it is unbelievable the attention to detail there well, yeah. I, I was thinking of utah the 8 bit uh, universal intro mm. where the you know the the kind of trombone and and uh tuba section of the orchestra yeah, yeah. and back in the commodore 64 days the way you did that was with this sound and they got it's it. actually like they, perfect. Oh they nailed that. <laughs> yeah, they did. 64 polyphonic sound. Was, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just masterful. So, good. so, so what, what we usually rank what we would give uh, a, a film. So mm-hmm. we'll go, we'll go yeah, to you yeah, first. You, we'll go to okay. you first. Um, so well, on a from, scale of one to 10. Yeah. I, I, I'm sure everybody does this, but like I, I have several dimensions. I'm going to get mathy for a second, mm-hmm. which when you take sure. the union of them, describe one continuum from one to 10. I just want to call out rewatchability. I have two tens in rewatchability, Lord of the Rings and this one, uh. which for me, 10 means I could watch it again and again. I can have it in the background and enjoy it, or I can be sitting and paying 100% attention to it and enjoy yeah. it. 
uh, two films have achieved that for me. Uh, overall, it's a solid nine for me when yeah. you put everything together. And you know, like I said. Like I said, it's like this film was made for me, so I feel like I can't even be objective about it. Yeah, I really <laughs> try to think true. of what doesn't work for me in this film, because yeah. Wes and Todd are going to think I'm just a slobbering no, no, fanboy. No. But, you know, the one thing I thought is Matthew Patel's musical sequence doesn't quite resonate with me. That's fair. It's, oh, that's okay. the only thing that didn't quite... What, like, I know it, it works for me just because it totally the reaction <laughs> that it gets from his, his sister yeah. whenever she's like... What? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that didn't even rhyme. Yeah, <laughs> it's off key. Yeah. It's like off time, and He's, the dancing is horrible. Yeah, it's so like corny. It's it's yeah. just yeah. really bad Bollywood, and it's perfect. You know? Yeah, yeah. And I th- he's just incompetent at. Doing the Bollywood, yeah, know. and that that goes it it goes to serve that they dated in seventh grade for a week and a half, <laughs> right. yeah, and that's why you know he doesn't have a whole lot of power and why he's just like ridiculous, yeah, exactly. Right? Like and the it, bottom rung guy, right? Yeah, he's exactly. He's number Joe. one. Yeah. He's, he's, yeah, he's the level one guy. Because for for me, the most hype moment, and every time I watch it, it's it's just as energetic is, and I get this con- stupid Canadian pride thing. So the. Uh, uh, what do you call it? the Kenny? Oh my God! I had their name. The the two Japanese twins. Uh, oh yeah, Katyanagi. Katyanagi. Yeah, the Katyanagi. Katyanagi twins. So they're from Japan. They're an electronic group. I always played in Canadian rock bands. So for me, it's like it, this oh, is the closest versus? I'm going to get to spear, you know cheer for a sports team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So it's like yeah, Canada and Japan. And when you know after Sex but Bomb gets blown over on their backs and they're like no 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 let's do this and they get up they set up their instruments and they play and then when he steps on the distortion pedal (laughs) and the Yeti comes out every time I'm just like oh Canada it's so awesome (laughs) oh my God what's happening it's awesome yeah I'm out of ten like for me there's nothing that I would change Um, and it's definitely rewatchable it's amazing everything about it i feel like is just so perfectly done that yeah for me it's an easy 10 just because of how much i love it and how much mm. uh, i get out of it every single time and it's it's non-stop it really never lets up and every time you think it's about to let up oh we're about to have you know a moment to actually let them get to know each other uh suddenly oh we have another ex that we just wandered into yeah um mm. or tracked us down one way or the other mm. so yeah for me i'm Leaning in the in the ten territory. Okay. What about you? So when when we first finished it a little while ago, um, and I said I was about to say something, and I said I'll save it. Uh, what I wanted to say was that was the perfect movie. There's there's nothing I would change. It 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 it, it hit on everything. It was emotional when it needed to be, just for as long as it needed to be. The ending was interesting. And it had you from the first frame, whether I mean, whether you're, you know, 15 watching this or you're 35 and watching this, you're like, oh, I haven't seen that before, you know, Um, and you love the characters. They develop them well. There's no small character, even even all the guys that that the Culkin brother is is sleeping with, like (laughs) I yeah. still, I'm like, I feel like I know you and you're important to this film, yeah. even though I don't know who you are. You yeah. say no words. And every extra, every bit player. Yeah, yeah. It just like everything is important and done for a reason. There's no fluff at all. It's funny. It's fun. I could let my four-year-old watch most of it. 
and and yet it's super entertaining to me and the music is incredible it's so mm-hmm. freaking good mm-hmm. when you first hear uh sex bomb you're like oh these guys are yeah the shit with you the know, uh, like, long hallway pool oh d- yes yeah. oh my god it was so good oh. from from nye's point of view yeah. yes. so good <laughs> Just and, and the fact deep. that that hallway pool was was all practical yeah like, no they, oh. they yeah, when you watch the making of they're literally like at the very end of the camera move they're pushing the couch forward a little bit to make it look like all the parallax settling <laughs> so in good. that final card um yeah, so care. everything from sound design to editing to the acting to uh, to the the production to the story, there's just nothing like you said, Wes. There's nothing I would change. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was so much fun. I was so excited to watch it again, and I can't wait to watch it again. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, like it's not only that it doesn't wear out its welcome. It's that it turns the fact that it's aware of the point at which the welcome is worn out and turns it into a fun thing. Yeah. The negus guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because clearly, oh my God. you can like, hear Edgar Wright, oh, the audience is going to be totally uh, you know, exhausted, so let's exactly. just play with them and set up this new fight. And then they just come out and set up. Uh, it's <laughs> such a good How thing. How brilliant is that? They can't let one oh, little thing so go good. without turning it into genius. Uh, Have you read the book? Or the yeah, uh, graphic novels? Yeah, so I've read uh, all the graphic novels uh, up to about halfway through the last one. I've heard conflicting, I guess, views on the movie from people who read the novels that you know they felt a little bit let down or didn't cover X, Y, Z, which is always an issue with adapting. But not you, huh? You had yeah. Well, it, and I'll, I'll admit I'm a little bit biased because I'm in the filmmaking world sure. and yeah. I know how hard it is to adapt but I really feel like like a lot of the uh, dialogue gems just a lot of the writing gems that are in the movie are lifted from the comic book and placed at the right time like there's there's so much more uh, stuff that happens in the comic book that really f- kind of fleshes out the story and there's this one moment with Ramona that's so sad and it would have been totally out of place in the film it's it's a beautiful moment in the comic book but i really think they pulled out what works in uh you know in in the medium of film and left on the page what really works on the page uh but I, uh, brian lee o'malley went to film school for a little while he, he dropped out and uh, he must have taken storyboarding courses so you remember the the joke at the rocket when the matthew patel fight is about to happen and the visual joke that I had always credited Edgar Wright with is, you know, you zoom in on Knives and then pull out to Scott and he's super worried. And you zoom in on Ramona, pull out to show Knives and Ramona's like, who is this? Sure. And then there's the, the love joke. triangles of, that are yeah, popping up. You zoom in to Wallace and you pull out and, oh, it turns out he's into Julie's boyfriend. That little joke. Yeah. That's in the comic. Those three zooms are in this panel that's done in kind of a half moon pattern. Yeah. And so I, I was just amazed that, you know, Edgar Wright could easily have been like, I'm the visual guy, I'm the director, I know how to do this. I love that he just said, man, Brian, that's a great idea. Let's just do exactly that. And it yeah. worked in film. Yeah, I feel like some of my favorite directors probably have not as much of an ego um, when it comes to good ideas. Let the good idea stand and everything else can take a back seat, including my ego, my pride. The exception might be someone like a David Fincher. I don't know <laughs> what he does, but I assume, like, yeah, it's a good idea. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> yeah. Next deal. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. 
and I'm sure his idea is just as good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably yeah. most He's cases. A master yeah. of his craft. Well, you know, I'm sure there are some directors whose style is my actors are puppets, and they're going to do exactly mm-hmm. what I want, and that like, works for some directors. Yeah, Kubrick. Yeah. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. What surprised me watching it this last time was the the lighting scheme. I hadn't really noticed it as much, but there's a lot of hard shadows. There's a lot of long shadows. And it looks like everything is like 90% practical because of how much he uses that practical lighting inside the, the transitions. It's not just, oh, in post, we're just going to you know fade out. It's, no, we're going to have an actual light uh, degrade and fade our characters out for us, uh, which is really tough because last week we were talking about La La Land and uh, how difficult some of their light transitions were. None of that, none of those issues. And granted, these are much faster, so you can get away with it mm-hmm. a lot easier. But uh, I was just so impressed with the continual use of it because that's exhausting. That's a mm-hmm. timed rehearsal. Like you are figuring out exactly what is happening when and so that you can sync it up with whether it's the visual effects or uh, the actual lighting, working with your your gaffer you know, to, to strike a light when it needs to be struck. Uh, every point of the way, I mean, I think the easiest might have been the actual music video sections of uh, Envy Adams, right, when she's doing her, her metric song. Mm-hmm. Um, because now it's like, okay, finally, we're back on old footing again. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to pump in time with the, uh, with the beat, and then we're going to cut when it's a, to the beat. And so you finally have something physically verberating through you that I can sync with, whereas some of these other sections, right, it's just it's a verbal cue. And you have to be playing in with this rhythm in your head to be on point because it's nonstop. Mm-hmm. It's speed. It's we cannot drop below 50 miles an hour or our bus is going to explode. Yeah. Yeah. And they were aiming for 40 setups a day, which it, it amazes me. What? Uh, oh so do you remember it, the so the scene right, uh, when uh, Todd from Clash at Demon Head is about to start his fight with Scott? Mm-hmm. And he throws and Scott through the wall, and there's that two-panel shot where there's the green room, right. and then the, the wall, outside. and then the alleyway. Yeah. That was not done in post. They set that up and shot it with a VistaVision camera, like a super widescreen, super high-resolution VistaVision camera. And did th- that was all practical, so they had a lighting set up in the alley, they had a lighting set up in the green room, and Edgar Wright himself was performing flashbulb hits, you know, in time with music and in time with beats. And when Todd steps through that hole into the alley and just with a whoosh of his arm, the couch that all the sycophants were yeah. on goes out of the way, that was practical. They had, a, they had a rope on it and rails and pulled it out of the way. And if you're going to do as much of that as practical as possible, you're going to need like a 40 set up a day goal. But man, does it pay off in the end result. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it just looks phenomenal. Because when you're getting it on set, there's nothing that can replace that in post. You either have it or you don't, and you need to have it on set and know that you have it before you can move on to the 39th set. Yeah. And, you know, you and I talk about how much we admire the art of cinematography. Mm -hmm. You know, Bill Pope talks about how he he really wanted to, in all the fight scenes, there's got to be flares. And he said the best way you do that is with an anamorphic lens. So they shot those on Mm -hmm. anamorphic and just cropped the frame just so that he could get those nice exaggerated flares. And it really heightens all those fight scenes. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. I wonder how much of that they did with Baby Driver. Oh, 
God. Probably a lot. Oh, I, I, yeah. Right? Yeah. It, it's such a... When I we were watching it, and I, I turned to Wes, and I said, wait, who directed this again? And he said, Edgar Wright. And I said, oh. The music guy. D- duh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it makes yeah. perfect sense that he would do a movie like Baby Driver. Yeah. After this. Yeah. Yeah, so it just caught me by surprise, because Hard Shadows aren't normally something you associate with big production Hollywood, unless it's like a noir, but not necessarily like a love film um, or kind of this comic booky action film. Because, I mean, go watch any Marvel film. There's not a lot of hard shadows in those guys. They have all these nice, soft, beautiful lighting with these nice, pretty highlights uh, hitting you all over the place. Whereas here, but because they did it so practical, that's just kind of what you're going to end up with. If you're not going to bring in a Kino to kind of, fill in some of these soft shadows or these hard shadows that's coming in from the person standing to your right and suddenly you know they cross or you move your hand across your face and you're going to have this hard shadow that's the way it's going to be unless you take time to do these extra coverage you know setups and for the most part they avoid it i mean even at the end when i'm watching nice chow convince scott you know to go after her uh she's got this nice soft beautiful lighting on her and he doesn't Mm-hmm. And it feels like that's just a, a lot of honest. Uh, I mean, maybe they set up a bounce card here or there just to help cut it down a little bit, but it really feels pretty true to the scene and to the setup uh, because there's a light behind him that's kind of motivating her lighting. Um, and there's no, I don't remember seeing, maybe there's like a lamppost in the background or something, but I don't remember seeing any lighting in her frame that would be motivating his lighting. And so. They they cheated a little bit, but they're still going for this very realistic, practical uh, effect. And, I mean, I just tip my hat because, I, I don't know, I think it just grounds you a little bit more. And it also doesn't interrupt those moments when they're using those practicals within the scene itself as a, you know, cutting it off and on. Um, because if, if you start playing with that, suddenly you really have everything out of control and out of hand. If you're doing 40 setups a day that you you just can't afford to botch too many takes no i mean you yeah. got to get it like first or second take right yeah. I mean, if you're doing 40 40 yeah that's insane and it, i mean the I thing mean, that blows me about is a lot <laughs> <laughs> the thing that blows my mind about cinematographers too is that choice because that's where knives becomes like the most heroic person in the film so you've been going for her all along i'm i'm gonna be fine and also, Ramona has a hero moment there where both the women are willing to give up what they've been fighting for out of respect for each other, not for Scott. It's out of respect for for each other. And that very last kind of hero shot where we're not in the heightened world anymore and there's traffic going on in the background and we're, we're seeing Scott and Ramona go into the subspace door. Tonight, it hit me for the first time that that's what we're seeing is what Knives is seeing and they're kind of doing that receding blindside POV. So it's like knives is letting them be who they are. And I'm going to go off and do my own thing. And it just kind of underscores knives heroism and Ramona's heroism. So, you know, there's there's a lot of debate online about this film failing the Bechdel test that, you know, Mm. Ramona's not a strong female character and knives is not a strong female character. And I, I argue that I think this, this whole movie ends up with them being heroes. And describe for the viewers what the Bechdel test yeah, is. Yeah, please. The Bechdel test is uh, a feminist writer named Bechdel. Just came up with this really uh, simple, simple test 
that if a movie contains one scene that has two women who talk about something other than a man. And I think on a film-by-film basis, I I think the intention of the test is not to be applied on a film-by-film basis to tell whether the film is sexist. I think it's more useful on the aggregate. Yeah. If you look over an entire season of film, man, like only one film passes the Bechdel test. This is a film about a relationship between two girls and a guy. So... I, it would fail the reverse Bechdel test as, yeah. as well. So the lack of common sense, because then at, at a certain point you're you're forcing it, because it's mm-hmm. called Scott Pilgrim versus the World. So he should probably be in discussion no matter what's happening on mm-hmm. on on film. Yeah, and 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 people you know complain that oh man Ramona is not as fully realized in the movie as she is in the comic. Well, yeah. She can't be. We got. We don't have as much time. Yeah, there's two hours here. But she's heroic. She has her own motivations. She has her own wins. And we come to know her as well as we know Scott. And we come to know Knives as well as we know Scott. And they all have humor. I, I, I think they're all on the same level. And I think it's a miscall to call this like a, a sexist film or a film where the female characters aren't just as engaging or arrive at the same place as the male character. I did. I did find it. To speak to that a little bit, I did find it a little, uh, not off-putting, but just a little like, like that's interesting when when uh, Gideon was petting Ramona, right, mm. sitting up there uh, on the the top of their throne or whatever, like she was his pet, like mm-hmm. and very degrading, it very degrading, oh, and yeah. it it was. I wonder why they chose to do something like that. Apparently, that was an improv. Jason Schwartz was just coming up with stuff. I mean, yeah, yeah. It fits character. Yeah, yeah, it makes you hate him more. Mm-hmm. He's a sexist. But it also makes you. Jerk. It also makes you like. Okay, let's get personal for just a second. Yeah, for right. Sure. <laughs> um, I have been on that side, on Scott Pilgrim's side, of wanting to date a girl who wanted some other. Hmm. complete like like w- because he's a bad boy or because he's just a complete a-hole uh she wanted him mm-hmm. and i was the nice guy and i lost mm-hmm. right and and so i i think maybe my reaction to that to to him like petting her and her saying he just i can't resist whatever w- was so negative because i've been through it yeah. And I know what it feels like to like be the nice guy who loses. And I think that's why Edgar Wright put in the idea of the chip. Because it's like she's not voluntarily submitting. Right, yeah. He literally just, has... A, without that chip... That's a good point. Without that chip, she's just a plaything and, and willfully doing it. And I don't see Ramona Flowers doing that at all. Yeah. So I think yeah, without that chip, that, that whole thing doesn't yeah, work. Totally. Yeah. Uh, that makes That makes... Beautiful. It makes it beautiful, actually, yeah. in, in knowing that. I don't know. People who are listening to this, I just pointed at the back of my neck, so I'm sure yeah, it she, really helped right. uh, talk and, he, and Wes mentioned that he has that same symbol that the was on receiver, the chip. It's like he has a receiver sitting on his tie. Oh, no way. Yeah, yeah there's a little triangle that's sitting right there, and it's like that's the button he pushes whenever he's ready to get inside her head. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So they they didn't leave out any details. Oh, he just it. knows it how to control her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, and in her defense, she knows how to control Scott. True. Even though Completely. I don't think she's ever really trying. No, she's not. He's voluntarily right. giving himself over to this thing. Absolutely. And so that speaks to what I think draws me to this film and so many films is it starts with a really great theme. 
yeah. build around an excellent theme. And in this case, obviously, it's the theme of in any relationship, you have to overcome someone else's baggage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you have to yeah. you have to eventually fight yourself is what, you know, the end sequence is really talking about. Right. It's he can't do it for her. He has to grow up. Yeah. He has to respect himself enough to know that I can be with this person regardless of what they've been through right. um, and what they're dragging in as long as they're there for me too. Because that's what that's exactly what happens, right? It's at that point whenever he starts, he grows up, he matures, and he admits to his own scumminess because he is uh, scummy. Mm-hmm. And there's this interesting message because he's doing exactly to knives what he did or, or what uh, she's doing to him, what right, yeah. uh, Ramona's doing, right? He's going after the damaged person. He's going after this person who's who's uh, difficult and complicated and has this whole uh, history, whereas Knives is brand new. She's inexperienced. She's never even kissed the boy is what she says, right? And instead of going for that, it's like, oh, that's not as exciting and interesting. I have her. I'm going after what I can't have and what's more complicated than uh, what it makes me feel like less of a person. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it, it's not until that end sequence whenever he respects himself enough to look past that and grow up and admit to his scumminess to both of them that Scott has earned the power of self-respect. <laughs> yeah. Bill Hader. Amazing. Yeah. Because yeah, Bill Hader, I didn't realize until we were just watching the credits. It's like, Oh, he did the voice. Um, but it isn't until that point where he's also now recruited them to his team mm-hmm. and now they're helping him get over, uh, the trauma and the, and the drama that he's dealing with with Gideon, mm-hmm. and it becomes this three-way fight instead of yeah. him trying to do it all by himself. Right. And eventually, it even comes a two-way fight with with knives, because you know she she's growing up way faster than he has. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And did you catch also speaking to the self-awareness of the film? So Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld, when they did Seinfeld, had this rule: no hugging and no learning. Because up to that point, so many sitcoms would have, you know, a very special blossom. Oh, my God. And every episode, somebody would have to learn something. And their thing was like, can't we just laugh? Like, what, can we just have fun with these characters? We're just going to put... Feels at, like I learned something. They learned yeah. something. But at the very end, uh, Gideon says, you know, after all that happens, Gideon says, okay, are we done with all the hugging and learning? <laughs> so it's like they directly oh called back to Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld. It's like, okay, now it's... Fun time. Yeah. <laughs> Kicks his head off. Yeah. Uh, I just and and the the best part of the movie to me is when he and him and his uh, nega self walk out together, oh and they're gonna have brunch next week. <laughs> it's, it's a really good guy. Yeah, it yeah. just just is the perfect thing. Like you said, Edgar Wright was like, okay. They're going to be exhausted. Oh, there's going to be another fight. It's going to be even bigger because he's fighting himself. Oh, my gosh. And then it just cuts. I love how they just cut. Like, you know. Which I know upset some of the the comic fans because apparently there's some whole running story with them. But I don't want to know it. I don't want to see it. Right. It was perfect. It was perfect. They walk out and they're friends because he's embraced himself and, and his he, he's okay yeah. now. He, he's like dealt with himself. 
through conversation yeah. with himself. What are you going to beat the crap out of yourself? No, that's not the way yeah. that you defeat yourself. Yeah. You have a rational in, insight in, in your own mind. You ask yourself questions. You give yourself the honest answers. And that, that's it. You have to talk to yourself you in order to beat yourself. yourself. You make friends with yourself. And that, that's exactly how you do what it. he did. Yeah. <laughs> Such a Canadian so, way to fight yourself. It's so, di- yeah. <laughs> Go for brunch. With oh yourself. my god, that's so good. <laughs> yes, that is. Couple of donuts, eh? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, the only time I'll do that. Oh, don't do that again. <laughs> no. That's like me doing it. It's, it's bad. <laughs> so one, just to touch technically again, yeah. uh, there are so many like match cuts and these zoom, these zoom ins and zoom outs. But it was really a lot of the. Uh, Watching it this time, I get really fascinated with the idea of these kind of anime cuts. Of you know, you have two characters diving at each other, and it's just oh my gosh, yes, infinite movement of speed lines, yeah, with the speed lines. Um, And in this case, it seemed like they do quite a bit of like dolly zooms, where you're or a vertigo shot, I think is it's it's more commonly known as, where you're pushing in but you're zooming out and racking focus at the same time. Super complicated. Oh my god! But it begins to enunciate or exaggerate some of the movement that's happening because depending on if you're going in or out the uh, the background shrinks or the background grows uh, depending on emotionally what you're going for and so using those techniques along with those speed lines begins to create this imminent action that's happening because I don't normally I, I don't know if I've ever really seen another movie use it in this way because normally it's going to be like a Lord of the Rings thing where it's like oh the ring rates are coming and um, you see this character sitting still and you're doing this vertigo shot and they're kind of the they're having a realization that's normally the way i see it is there's fear happening or a realization happening which in vertigos it's all fear-based but in lord of the rings and these other films it's always uh this sense of i'm realizing something something's coming i hear something um so really quick let's just describe what that shot really looks like so you you say you have someone sitting in a chair Mm -hmm. right essentially what the camera is doing is it's pulling back so it gives you more depth of field in the back the Mm -hmm. back behind the person looks like it's going back but you're zooming in with the lens so the person is coming towards the lens so and you're focusing yeah the the thing that you have in focus is never changing perspective right that is always going to be framed compositionally the entire way so in a sense it only looks like the room is moving right yes exactly right okay yeah and if you're pulling focus properly the room the bokeh is also increasing on the background right exactly exactly yeah more shallow depth of field Mm -hmm. with that yeah and so it's a really exciting use of it that i mean maybe a lot of other maybe this has been akira kurosawa has been was using it from day one i don't know but watching it here along with with that comic book intensiveness coming to life uh was just like Mm -hmm. i'm geeking out as a uh film guy like oh god i want to use that i don't know when or where but i'm going to keep this in my head (laughs) i'm never forgetting yeah (laughs) so good and so you've watched so many of the behind the scenes stuff Mm -hmm. uh was there anything else that struck you like the the pee break where uh there's this three minute section of the film where scott is in a daze after having met ramona finally and he's just kind of drifting in and out you have all these amazing cuts and transitions uh, whether it's Scott standing outside and uh, what's the the band's frontman? Uh, what's what's his name? 
Oh, Stephen Stills? Yeah, Stephen Stills. Yep. Whenever he jumps into the frame like Scott, and then you cut to the wide, yeah. and suddenly you're in rehearsal again. Uh, yeah, those ma- match. Yeah, so you have like this little match cut that's happening mm-hmm. along with then he walks in to the take bath. a bathroom yeah. uh, to take a bathroom break, and you have the pee meter, and yep. it's this one nice long shot. Yeah, and uh, in the making of, uh, it was a, when they were doing the pre-production, a visual effects artist saw that, and they were going to do it all in post, and the, the guy suggested, you guys should do this practically, because if he can open the door to the bathroom and walk out into the school hallway, and you see you know, the reflections in the shiny linoleum, and the shadow and light hitting him just absolutely perfectly, that's just going to look incredible. And so, you know, you actually they actually have on the making of the crew that door closes and Sarah is performing in there and there's all this <laughs> all this stuff moving around. And eventually you've just got this school hallway there. Yeah. And uh yeah, apparently it was it was uh, a couple of takes before Wright remembered. Oh, he said have him walk all the way out so you, until you can see his feet is what's going to sell this oh, whole wow. thing. So oh, wow. Yeah, that makes sense. I was going to say. He'd almost yeah. forgotten the whole thing that the that the VFX guy had uh, <laughs> the whole point of it. suggested, yeah. <laughs> and you know what the most subtle one of those match cuts, you know, the uh, shot and reverse shot mm. stuff, is Knives and Scott in the record store talking, and just just by convention of us knowing, you know, what the access line is, you don't even notice that they've gone from the inside of the music store to they're walking down a snowy street. Because they match the lighting so well, and they match the composition so well, and then you just you realize, and in that one little section, they move from the music store to the street to a rehearsal to back to the street at night with just three of those. Yeah, I mean, you gotta have uh, the lighting techs have to be they have to be to know as much as the director in that regard. Yeah, you're right. you're not only running tests beforehand to say, okay, this is going to match, this is going to match, but I just feel like unless they just had a crazy amount of budget, which I don't think they did, yeah, um, you don't have as much time as they probably needed in pre-production to run some of these tests. Yeah, and so you're right. I think you have to just really be in love with your techs and yeah, uh, I mean, your gaffer yes, and your DP to trust them to say, I know when this is off, um, and. Maybe even you're just grabbing those lights regardless and saying, no, nope, we're going <laughs> to make sure. Yeah. It sounds, I mean, it, I think Bill Pope has done enough of these. You know, he did the Matrix. He was mm-hmm. DP on the Matrix films and stuff. He oh, can okay. probably run and gun a little bit, you know, make yeah. decisions on the fly yeah, and help Edgar with those. Because you have to start issues. making the decision, too, of, well, are we ever going to shoot tungsten, right? Everything's going to be daylight balanced in order to match indoor and outdoor mm-hmm. um, so you probably make some of those practical decisions along with the sheer force of will <laughs> to, <laughs> to get everything else working yeah yeah i i, I was curious to get, what, what do you guys think of michael Sarah as an actor because it's pretty hip to hate on him but to i hate on him yeah a lot of people I, know I know what you mean he's the same in every movie but if you if you watch this film look it up like when just before he gains the power of self-respect and he's walking into the club, and the guys who want the passwords, the look on his face, the the physicality of it, he's he's a totally different Scott Pilgrim, yeah. and yet still yeah. Scott Pilgrim. And he's like, this club sucks, the music sucks, you suck, and I'm going to... The look on his face, that's that's a great performance, and anybody yeah. who says he's the same yeah. in every film just isn't paying enough attention no. to him. I completely agree. I've, I've never been a hater. I understand the arguments against him, mm-hmm. and I'm a... Generally, I'm a pretty kind... 
two actors, I guess, and maybe that's because I'm an actor. Yeah, but, <laughs> good but we're all actors here. <laughs> I've, I mean, even I've I've stuck up for uh, the one that everyone loves to hit on, which is Keanu. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I stick, oh, I stand up no. for him because I, I think he's a great actor. I think he's um, awesome, highly underrated, and well, and I also I'm fairly, don't, I'm fairly okay. hated on. Yeah, yeah, and I, Michael Sarah for me falls back in that line. Yeah. I, I, I don't have any problem with actors. Who, there are some actors who you cast them for their personality. Sure. You know, Tom Cruise or Ice Cube. I, I don't need yeah. Ice Cube to be a chameleon. If I cast Ice Cube, it's because yeah. I needed Ice Cube. Yeah, exactly. As, dude, there's can no you reason, come and be Ice and Cube? And there's no reason him? to hate on him just because, yeah. like, there's no reason to hate on, on Sarah because he plays the role of, like, you know, the the feeble, uh, you know, kind of, like, He's like small perfect. guy. You need somebody to play that. Yeah. And he plays it perfectly. Yeah. I think he's a great, great actor. Yeah. And everything I've ever seen him in, I thought was, I, he was either funny or endearing, but always lovable. Yeah. You know? Like, he's not he's not a show stealer. Nope. But it, it's not easy but he to can, do this. He can steal it by, by making you laugh so damn hard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when he, the first time he talks to Ramona... Oh I God. lost, oh, I yeah. lost my yeah. mind. He's holding his cup that he's already crushed. He's still yeah. holding it when he's talking to her. And you, mean, you mean when they're when they're in the hallway and he's telling the Pac-Man with story? the wall yeah. behind them? And with the lights switched the Pac- way too high. Yes, ex- yeah. yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And he just kind of like slides over over the wording. Yeah. Uh, and he's holding his crushed cup and he tells her whatever and she, he's like, okay, I'll never talk to you again. Okay, goodbye. And then he's like, well, whatever he says and he walks away. Yeah. It's perfect. And there's there's lots of stuff. Like Edgar Wright had a had had kind of a commandment for the actors that don't blink as much as you can. Don't blink when the cameras are on because the characters in the comic book aren't blinking. Their eyes are open all the time. Wow. So I don't know, if, if you're an actor, you there's, there's like, you know, awesome. there's all kinds of Athletic stuff that you're doing, like it's the middle of July and we're pretending it's cold. Don't blink. Say your lines. Be engaging. I'm I'm Scott Pilgrim still, but I'm angry. That's not yeah. a bad actor. There's not no, a bad right. actor in this film, and but Michael Sarah is definitely killing it. Yeah. And nail all this choreography while you're at it. Yeah. He became like a a, bad a ninja fighter. Yeah. Just, a badass. And and Nega Scott, I mean that look on his apparently they just put some like shadow on his cheeks. But that's his. That's his. You know, and obviously the red eyes. Right, but right. that's his. That's his face. Nega Scott. He looks badass. You yeah. know who really steals the show, though. Well, I will say two pe- two people. The first one I I just love, and I'm I'm like you picked wrong. I love Knives. She yes. is just oh, yeah. the best. Um, but the real scene stealer, right, is Kieran Culkin. Yeah, like, totally. How Absolutely. incredible is he? He's oh perfect. man. <laughs> <laughs> So good. I remember walking out, yeah. and this guy probably had like thirty lines. And yeah. yeah, I felt like that was a test, man. They were all yeah. test. Like every line is a killer. They were all important lines. Yeah. He was yeah. like, he was like his uh, almost, almost like he was uh, Scott's internal. Yeah, his conscience. His right? conscience. Mm-hmm. Thank you, his Jiminy Cricket. Yeah, yeah. Like even to the point where you know, like he would pick on him a lot, but but Scott Pilgrim picks on himself, right? Yeah. But, so. He plays that card, but also when uh, Gideon calls him on the phone and Culkin says, says, second thought, go kick his ass. What a perfect <laughs> asshole. Uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then, hey, he says that and you're thinking, what the heck is going on in the bed next to this yeah, guy? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so good. And, uh, for, you know, the, the cast talks about when, uh, when they did the Matthew Patel scene, they were up in that, you know, that balcony forever and falling asleep and stuff. And when they went to do their ca- coverage... 
in a video game, there's you know a fighting video game. There's a role you don't fight until the guy says fight. Right. Yeah. That was Kieran's job in that oh, scene. Yeah. Fight, and they all gush on him and the you know the cast one of the yeah. cast uh, commentaries that I could not believe what you pulled out for that. <laughs> and when you watch it again in slow motion, yeah, there's just so much energy in it. And you're yeah. just ready for a fight now. It's, yeah, it's awesome. Did you know? You know, speaking about knives, Ellen Wong had her acting coach on set with her for like the first few weeks. This was her first, the first shot mm. that she's in, and Scott Pilgrim was her first time on a yeah, movie. Yeah, because she was ever. a martial artist, which is how she landed the role. Yeah. Oh. Um, and obviously that. she's wow. a complete badass. Uh, and I've been really upset that she hasn't gotten more premium roles since I then. I know. I mean, even in, uh, she's in Glow right she's now. She's in Glow, yep. And she still has kind of a backseat, and I'm really upset. I'm like, y'all better give her something next season, because she is way too talented. Yeah, she's a front, yeah, she's... An A-lister in yeah, my she's book. Fantastic. Yeah, she killed it. Yeah. yeah, It's super impressive. For your first time out. Jesus. God. Yeah. <laughs> and that's got to suck, too. Like, how do you, where do you go from there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No kidding. You can still go up. She's you got plenty of time. Up, what, is she, what is she, like, like yeah. 21 now? No. I'm just kidding. She was like. I know. She's probably 25 in the movie or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Have you guys watched this film with someone who just is indifferent? I've only seen it twice, and both times we're with this gentleman sitting across the table. Man. It's it's something because this is so underrated, and and I, I think I can. We we showed it to a couple of friends who just couldn't care less. They were just confused, out of place, and I don't know if it's like, man, if you're not into video games or indie music or film or I mean I don't know the number yeah, of things I mean, you it, have to hate to be just indifferent to this film. Yeah, I mean, there, there's because everybody else I show it to is just in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've Everyone I've ever showed it to has been kind of crazy about it. Um, yeah, this is one of my, I don't know, I probably have three or four, like, go-to... Friendship test? Yeah, a little bit of a friendship <laughs> test, but, yeah. but also, like, film test. Like, are you in? Do you understand? Or and if, even if it's someone that I know isn't, like, a, a film buff, I'm like, this is something you probably haven't seen. Go watch it. And it's always going to be Sunshine, Scott Pilgrim... Attack the block and like never let me go. Mm-hmm. I'm probably gonna recommend one of those if like, oh okay, you you like films, yeah. but you're probably not separated too far from Marvel and you know the yeah. I I the Buffalo '66 is one of those for me too. Nice. The Vincent Gallo yeah. one, yeah, because I hadn't seen that before you invited me over to watch it. No. Oh oh yeah, yeah, I forgot we watched that. Yeah 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 yeah. Old school, it's <laughs> so good. Real old school. Yeah. Okay, I haven't seen that one. <laughs> But it's criminal. I just find some of these films, especially Sunshine and Scott Pilgrim, mm. I find it just criminal that it's so underseen and underrepresented. And waiting, I was like, you know what? And this is where my love of love hate of the Academy comes in because I'm like, okay, well, as long as it gets Academy recognition, then maybe it has it a chance. Yeah, because that was how I felt with Slumdog. I was like, man, no one's watching this movie. And, and so I would try to invite people like, hey, you need to go watch this movie. Um, and everyone who would watch it would, of course, like, oh, my God, this is incredible. Yeah. But it wasn't until it got Academy recognition that it, it suddenly just became this devastating touchstone of you know film in 2008. Yeah. And it kills me. Yeah. Have you ever seen the trailers for this film? I've never no. watched them, and uh, you know, I was just reading an article a couple of days ago about how man, this movie was not marketed properly at all. 
So yeah. I'm kind of hesitant to watch the trailers because I think it's going to make me furious. <laughs> Probably. It's going to make me bi-furious. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I am not a movie marketing person. It's got to be so hard to sell movies because there's so many of them. Yeah, I, I think uh, maybe I, I, I know the group of people that would watch the, a movie like this and just not get it. You know, and those are mm. those are the people that I mean, they're not anybody who cares anything about movies likes will like a movie like this. Yeah, but there's yeah. not a whole lot like there there are there is a group of people that they don't necessarily not like movies, but they're just not like important to them. You know, they, they don't mm. get emotional if they see a film that's an emotional film. You know, like yeah. the, that group of, of people, they're not looking for themselves in the film. You know, we go to a movie, you go and you watch Scott Pilgrim, Scott Pilgrim, Joe, and you see yourself in that film. Yeah. You know, like it's uncanny, right? Um, like I, you, I watched it for the 900th time tonight and was a little bit crying yeah, at the last scene. Sure, sure. I watch V for Vendetta and I'm like weeping at the end. <laughs> uh, you see Interstellar and you like there are we see ourselves in films, but there is a group of people that just don't really they go for a release from life and they don't want to and put themselves in that film and so i can see that group of people maybe not getting this even if they liked video games growing up and stuff like that like oh okay that's cool but you know i don't know if it's an age thing or i I don't think so but what i think what really frustrates me is when i start hearing that trope of oh there's nothing good that comes out anymore and oh God! That you know what I mean? Who says that? Just people who don't watch movies like oh, this. Oh yeah, right. They yeah. keep waiting for the next 20th Century Fox production studio, you know, pr- project, yeah. and they're like, "Oh well, that was terrible. They don't make good movies anymore." It's like, no, you just you're not used to digesting better films, and this is such an accessible film that I, I'm not including this one, but something like it never let me go. Yeah. Um, oh, that's a great example. You know, it's like, yeah, you do. It takes a little bit more patience and introspection, but there's so much rich content that if you would just get off, get off of McDonald's and, and enjoy a nice home cooked meal once in a while, yeah, exactly. that you would understand there's so much artistic value that's out there waiting to contribute to your life and to your conversations that you have no excuses other than yourself um, because there's people out there. They they just want to be spoon fed. Yes. Like here is your story. Boom. It's, you know, like, and, and there's a transformer. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Get on the transformers train again. Uh, uh, But you know, then you have, you have movies that we like, mm-hmm. you know, that, that like anybody who knows anything about movies or, or just enjoys to go see a movie, like there's a lot more than just the story that to like. There's, there's a, yes, there's a script, but there's the acting, there's the set design, there's the sound design, there's the, the editing, there's the directing, there's the produce, like there's so many. And then in the story, you have the themes and the subtext yes, and the symbolism. It, yes, mm-hmm. the, the, like it goes so deep. Um, being musicians, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, we've been musicians for a long time. You can sit in a room and make an entire record by yourself. Mm-hmm. You can do it all by yourself. Mm-hmm. Making a film by yourself? No it's way. Impossible. Especially a film like Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. Literally impossible. You, it takes dozens, if not hundreds of people that come together with one specific train of thought. 
getting everybody on the same page all the time, every single day. That's a, it's miraculous that anything gets made yeah. that's, that's even half the quality of, of Scott Pilgrim, yeah. if you think about it. Absolutely. Yeah, and there, there's something like my, my mom worked in a movie theater as an usher when she was a kid, so she saw like every musical in like the you know, 50s and 60s. Poor and thing. then after that, she was just like, eh, movies, that part of my life is over. So, mm. you know, it, it's important. Yep. My mom's got the best sense of humor in the world. So, you know, we're we're watching uh, Gravity. I think I told you this. We were watching Gravity a couple of Christmases ago, and yeah. she'd walk through the room every once in a while. Oh, they're still floating, <laughs> floating, floating. It's all stupid. You know, my mom gets a pass because movies just, she's just a person to whom movies aren't important and storytelling isn't important. Yeah. Um, m- me, I feel like movies and storytelling are an evolutionarily selective advantage for human beings. I'm absolutely convinced that 25,000 years ago, uh, maybe there was a danger over that hill there. There was another tribe or something like that. And it's so much safer to tell a story about how dangerous it is over there and instill you know, a fear or a caution in someone than to actually take someone over there and show it. I, I think storytelling and the... I, I think it's in our DNA to be moved by stories and to be able to suspend our disbelief. I completely agree yeah. with that. And I've long thought that art has played a really significant role in the development of uh, humanity itself, whether you're talking about the development of love and the, the monogamy, the whole concept of monogamy and raising a family and looking after your own. And I think art has played such an incredibly important role in our development that it's, it's insane to me to think that yeah, certain people you know may not find as much value in in art or uh, the arts or just I feel like that's kind of an underrepresented ideology or or thought process. It makes no other sense to me that it's been this whirlwind, this uh, this cauldron of things that have gone into developing our mind because Absolutely. it's such a developmental process that you. You might say penguins can be monogamous or penguins can have lifelong loves, which may just actually just be a, a myth anyway. But it's, it's such a, it's such a special thing in humanity, the idea of love. Whether it's monogamous or not isn't really relevant, but for so long that was such an, a crucial part of our development that art, I just can't see any other way than art playing such a crucial role in communicating to each other, not only how we feel about each other, but like you said, uh, these abstract concepts and ideas of danger and mortality and the whole beauty of legacy that is passed on through stories, Um, Gilgamesh and Beowulf and these ancient stories that have been passed along. We don't have any idea of all the simplest stories that have you know come and gone. I was listening to a Freakonomics episode where they theorized that language itself came from the very cooing that a mother and a baby were trying to share with one another. Right. And language developed out of that. Mm-hmm. And it's theory. Obviously, you can't prove it, but it's a beautiful sentiment. Yeah. And well, I am just a raving madman for sentiment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Me too. Yeah. You know, and Roger Ebert wrote a. Uh, wrote this fantastic essay that films the only medium that really allows you to live someone else's life for a while. And what a valuable political 
thing that is to be able to understand someone else's hardships that you have no possibility of ever understanding. Like I, I have no, I've never been to Rwanda, but watching Hotel Rwanda, yeah, I oh, yeah. have uh, at least an inkling of what it's like to be thought of as a cockroach. Yeah. And right now my mom would come in and so so you're justifying this you're using this to justify a love of a movie movie that has the line uh, I have to pee on her. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean I have to pee. I have to pee. <laughs> Thanks mom for keeping me real. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but and, yeah, yeah yeah that's that's why why film and you know we're in this we're still in this golden age of of television that really really resonates. Uh, with me, and I'm, 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 I, I, yeah, I get really mad when people say, "Oh man, all the good movies were yesteryear." The, I feel like it's all ahead of us. Yeah, it has the ability. Film more than any other medium, I feel like, has the ability to actually make you identify with someone or some ideology that you never thought you would, or that you have been against. Right? I mean, we talked about V for Vendetta. Mm-hmm. As a good example about this, you're like, I don't identify with terrorists, quote unquote, you know, or like someone who would blow up a building like that. You know, and you watch the movie. And maybe suddenly, you, maybe suddenly now, you now you're seeing another a really good case. For exactly. It. Or hello, Star Wars, <laughs> the quintessential like, oh, the rebels are the good guys. Yeah. OK, well, mm-hmm. are they? They just, you know, they they destroy the right. the Death Star with yeah. thousands of people. On. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Really and or, or like, Breaking Bad too. You yeah, know? Breaking. Yeah. Yes, thank yeah. you. And, and it's 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 like one of the only mediums where you it can do that, and you walk away with a whole different perspective if you want to pay attention to it. If you want to pay attention, and if the movie itself paid attention, right? Because that, yeah. if you don't start with a great theme, it's going to be really an uphill battle after that. Yeah. I feel like every movie that I've ever loved has a very strong theme and something that it's trying to communicate at our core and going back to the whole idea of humanity and uh, what what's inside of us and what's to come, what's behind us and all of those things. It's always trying to communicate something below the surface than what's happening through words and actions. And if you can encapsulate that in something good, then... The sky's the limit. Yeah. yeah. And, and I love even It's something like this that's just an enjoyable little piece of art. Like, I, I, I'm like, I spent a lot of my high school years, no girlfriends. I was just drumming. I was just practicing drums. My whole life was school and drums. And I, I missed out on all the high school breaking up and cheating and, <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. And this is a little way for me to experience that in a, in a humorous way. And how did, how does it affect these uh, these other people? Aren't you glad you have just played man. drums? Yeah, you know, now looking back <laughs> yeah, on it, I'm right. like kind of glad no. I got to skip all that drama. So <laughs> last last little question because I think we've gone probably over time. I have no idea how long. Yeah, we've been this on is here. A- um, <laughs> when I first watched this movie, and even even now watching it tonight, I'm looking the entire time for the reality that everyone besides Scott Pilgrim is seeing. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So like Scott is fighting these exes. He's literally fighting these exes. What is everyone around him seeing? Are they seeing him actually fight these guys or are they seeing, you know, somewhat of a, I don't know, like, like awkward moments between these people when they run in, when he's, you know, like yeah. if you run into, if I run into my wife's ex or something, there's an awkward moment mm-hmm. and there's, 
maybe there's unsaid words uh, or whatever. And, and in probably the span of like 10 or 30 seconds, you either win or you lose, mm-hmm. right? Whatever battle that, that really is. Yeah. Are they seeing that or are they actually seeing the fighting? And I like analyzing both sides of that because in a band, so have you ever been in a situation where you played with like a lot of bands and you're watching the other bands and we're going oh, to yeah. destroy. Yeah. This is not even fair. And you get up there and you have the moment where you step on the distortion pedal and you've got your Yeti out there. Yeah. I feel like this movie is the perfect externalization of stuff like that. I've, yeah. I've been glared at by drummers. Like Crash and the Boys <laughs> oh drummer, God, yeah. and I've glared at drummers like Clash and the Boys drummer. That's yeah, so good. such a good moment. I, I love that the movie lets you just jump back and forth. Yeah, well, this happens all the time. People fight and fly through the air with swords, or this is just all going on in the heads of, oh my God, that's one of her exes. Yeah, and this is a mental battle that we get to see realized. Is that it? I don't. Yeah. I don't do know. Think? I think it's the 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 argument. I think I would put towards. It's not really happening would be some of the casual way that his his bandmates take it. Like he's about to fight uh the vegan, right? Todd. Yeah. And Todd Great is, name. Great name. <laughs> Todd. Great name. Why's the floor all wet, Todd? <laughs> Todd's what you name. And he's about to get crushed. He can't touch this guy. Um and the rest of his band after he gets thrown through the air. And lands, he's oh, like, right. dude, call us when you're done. Like, they're so yeah. casual about it, right? <laughs> Going to get pizza. Yeah. Yeah. And meanwhile, he's like, I may not even live. <laughs> like, he, yeah. he might kill me. So I think that's the strongest case I can make towards it's not really happening. But I think everything else kind of points to that's the reality of this world is for whatever reason, there is actual fighting going on. And yeah. it's just acceptable, because, especially when you look at the face of his sister. His sister, mm-hmm. the incredulity, incredulity, you know, is just overwhelming to her. She's like, wait, what's happening? What? Yeah. What? What? And actually, you know, in the uh, Katinagi twins, the amp versus amp thing, when they show the crowds, when the battle's going on, the crowd's like being blown around and they're like literally looking around at, wow, there's a lot of snow. And look at this. so it's, it's almost know, like that bleeds into reality there. I, okay. I got to watch it again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See if I can pick something up. I mean, maybe. New mission. Yeah. I, yep. f- I feel like. If I'm answering my own question, yeah. um, that it, those people are not seeing the fighting. Mm-hmm. Like, like, and my best thought would be the Chris Evans fight, quote unquote, where he goes down the railing and he destroys himself, but he does it because of his ego. Mm-hmm. I picture that as Scott, oh, you know, they see, they see that there's a movie being filmed. Oh, you dated this guy? And, and, the fight starts happening in his head and he's losing, you know? And then he realizes, Oh, this guy is like super egotistical and And like, that's his weakness. And all of a sudden he doesn't feel threatened by him because he's super egotistical and he thinks that his, his stuff doesn't stink and you know, all that stuff. And so maybe he's just like, ah, in his head, like, oh, this guy, no, she, he's not worried about Ramona going to her, mm-hmm. him or something like that. Or uh, he's just kind of a loser. Mm-hmm. And so he just, that's why he defeats him. Interesting, because I don't know. to take that line of argument whenever he fights Patel, uh, it's whenever he's singing, right? Yeah. That he defeats him, he hits him with the cymbal. Right. Basically, he's a better musician. Right. He's, he's not threatened ah. by this guy. Yeah. Um, and then there's also the Roxy. When he defeats her because she's a, she's gay and he gives her an orgasm. Yeah. She gets an <laughs> orgasm from a man. Yeah. 
And so now he's no longer intimidated, I guess, by That's uh, a really good point. And so, I mean, the, there's some really interesting content. Um, maybe with the uh, with Todd, right? He's he's not everything he says. He's putting on a facade. This guy's yeah. fake. He's shallow. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not just ego and pride. It's He's just not a, even close to what he represents um, because he wasn't. He was a better musician. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, big time. And so and he, it blew him away. He didn't measure there. Yeah. But he's like, you know what? I'm authentic at least. Yeah. I am who I am, and I'm okay with that. I think I think we need to watch it again. Yeah, that's yep. really good. That is do really a second good. podcast yeah. on one. The first time <laughs> we do two. two part. Yeah, part two. <laughs> we may have to cut this into two. I know. Uh, honestly. <laughs> so any 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 closing words? Or? I mean, I'll just close with I really loved all the visual effects touches because there's so many. There's so they never miss a moment. Even there's all these really tiny and almost insignificant moments that they throw on these. Kind of After Effects, motion graphics, uh, comic booky moments uh, that you almost don't even notice because they happen so fast. Right, and they're um, all used to effect. Yes, yeah. and they're all enhanced with either a music or some kind of uh, sound effect strike, mm-hmm. um, which is what I love about it. Oh god, sure, it's nonstop. Every single moment is enhanced with a visual effect um, in some way or another, and the amount of attention to detail because. A lot of these effects look like me. I'm watching this and I'm like, I could literally do every single thing they're doing in here, mm-hmm. but I can't. But it's so <laughs> masterful. <laughs> but I can't. Yeah, they're doing it with such taste, and I. I uh, yeah, yeah. And so I'm just exactly. blown away with the uh, the After Effects looking. It's probably a lot of Cinema 4D, but um, some of it is probably actually like flame just or after, something. Yeah, yeah. flame. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the bell ringing, it's like ring, kind of. Coming out of the comic book, mm, yeah, or whenever a bass is playing, it's always d d d d d d d d. Love it. <laughs> yeah. So okay, what's your cool. recommendation for the week? Yeah. So uh, in in keeping with the Canadian theme, so uh, I got to do a little bit of touring with these uh, with this Canadian duo named uh, Tegan and Sarah. So what the, I keep finding out more and more about you know you. the you know <laughs> yes I know Tegan and yes. Sarah so the, um. Their, the first album of their, the album that they were uh, touring with is called This Business of Art, and it's, it's great Canadian music. Uh, Hoxley Workman was a producer, and he performed like the drums and bass and stuff on it. And that, that's one of the, it's one of the few albums where every single song I like just as much as the last one. It's, it's such a great album, and, uh, I couldn't find any way that it's related to Scott Pilgrim, so it's like its own <laughs> island of Canadianness of ca- that I'm Canadian. going to recommend. So, Tegan it. and Sarah, this business of art. Wow, that's nice. a great recommendation. That is a great recommendation. Uh, all right, well, I'm going to keep with the uh, the Jason Schwartzman Ooh. theme and go with Rushmore. Oh, that's my favorite Wes Anderson film. Well, let me tell you, I was in it. Oh, no way! Yeah, 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 yeah. So I I went to school. Well, come on. When I say I was in it, I mean like I was one of a thousand faces. But um, I went to. So they filmed they filmed it in Houston, like Bel Air or something like near where I went to high school. I went to high school at at St. Thomas High, and they came over the announcements one day and they said said Hey, if you want to be in a movie, go to St. John's after school and so we went and we had to wear you know the 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 uniforms and um uh we they hauled us into this um to this church and we just kind of all sat there and 
it was the scene, you know, where he falls asleep and the camera is above him. I mean, it pans back and you see all the kids sitting in the, mm-hmm. in the pews in the church or whatever. Yeah. And, and Bill Murray is, is doing his speech or like talking at the yeah. podium. That's one of the faces. <laughs> and That's, I, so I, you, did, you made I did the analyze cut? it and I saw myself yes. and I, so I, uh, but I know what I look like <laughs> when I was 18 years old <laughs> and maybe uh, most people wouldn't spot me because they don't know what I looked like when I was 18 years old. It I was, don't know what you look like look now. The, yeah, look like for the, yeah, yeah, look for the most awkward 18 year old looking kid. And that's me anyway. Yeah. And it's just a great film anyway. And, yeah. and, Y'all it's a good Jason Schwartzman. Y'all are so self-serving. Yeah. I, yes. Oh yeah. I, I just wanted to clarify. I didn't play drums for Tegan and Sarah. I played yeah. drums in a band that opened for Tegan and Sarah. I just realized okay. the way I phrased it could oh, make okay, it gotcha. sound like I played yeah. drums with them. I okay. okay. Well, then you're not self-serving. Just yeah. Todd. <laughs> I, just me. I'm fine with that too. Yeah. I'm gonna recommend another Mary Elizabeth Winstead movie. Cool. Um, Ten Cloverfield Lane. Oh, yeah, man. I think it's. It, yeah. You really can't even say anything about it. Just. Watch the Just film, watch the film. You'll have a good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, if nothing else, to see her and John Goodman, because mm-hmm. they both absolutely kill. Yeah. Oh. yeah. What an acting lesson. So next week, we are going to be doing a special edition. Yes. We are going to be covering Stranger Things. Yeah. Oh, Gosh, we got a lot of, lot of, lot to watch. Oh, I'm looking oh, forward to that one. Bring Joe back for that. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Uh, don't forget to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Also, leave us know what you know. Let us know what you'd like to talk about. If there's a film you want us to cover, any special requests, definitely let us know. You can comment, and we'll put some links up to Joe and his work, things that he's worked on, and you can find that at thepestlepodcast.com/slash/scottpilgrim. And we're gonna close with a clip of the day today instead. But before we do that, I just want to uh, take a second and thank Joe for the recommendation of Scott Pilgrim making me watch it again. It's fantastic. And for joining us tonight. Uh, It's been awesome chatting with you, man. Thank you very much. And I found out so much about you. Yeah. God, it's it's great. I'm going to touch you after this. (laughs) That's awesome. I don't know what to say to that. (laughs) I'm going to go pee on her. I mean, I got to pee. I remember, uh, reading an article when I was about 12 years old, I think it might have been in Scientific American, where they measured the efficiency of locomotion for all these species on planet Earth. Uh, how many kilocalories did they expend to get from point A to point B? And the condor one uh, came in at the top of the list, uh, surpassed everything else, and humans came in about a third of the way down the list, which was not such a great showing for the crown of creation. And uh, But somebody there had the imagination to test the efficiency of a human riding a bicycle. Human riding a bicycle blew away the condor, all the way off the top of the list. And it, it made a really big impression on me that we humans are tool builders and that we can fashion tools that amplify these inherent abilities that we have to spectacular magnitudes. And so for me, a computer has always been a bicycle of the mind. Uh, something that that takes us far beyond our inherent abilities. And uh, I think we're just at the early stages of this tool, very early stages, and we've come only a very short distance, and it's still in its formation, but already we've seen enormous changes. I think that's nothing compared to what's coming in the next 100 years. Thank you. You told me about this, and it blew my mind when you told me about it. Thank you for playing that clip. How awesome is that? Yeah. You want to talk about foresight and just, I mean, he talks about imagination, but his imagination to 
to chew on that and to see the computer as an extension of ourselves because I mean that's what the iPhone is at this point, right? Yeah. It's the, the culmination sum of human knowledge at your fingertips. It's incredible. And so yeah. I picked that because one, I know how much you love Steve Jobs, but and also Joe, apart from being an amazing artist, is a is a tech guy. He's mm-hmm. he's incredible behind the computer as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I just wanted to throw that out there to you and see yeah. if you had thoughts on Steve Jobs and the the our bicycle bicycle of the mind, <laughs> the bicycle <laughs> of the mind. Yeah. I, I, one of the common attributes of most of the greatest people in tech that I've worked with is kind of this asshole streak. Apparently, he was very difficult to work for because. Yeah. He didn't. He didn't see the hurdles. He saw the goal, and he's like, "If you know, if you have to work all night to get over these hurdles, I don't care. We we all need to get to this goal. The I, and I'm a hurdle guy. I'm the guy who has to get us over the hurdles. <laughs> yeah. And I try to pull myself up and see the big picture and see where we all need to go. And I can't do it. There's something just incredible about being able to look at the world around you and envision. Oh, this is where we need to go. And then to have the courage to make it happen, you know, to yeah. bring other people on board and make it happen. That's awesome. kind of like filmmaking in a nutshell, isn't it? You know, yeah. writer, producer, director getting together and then For sure. just having this vision. I love I love that he talks about, I mean, obviously I'm a cyclist, so I love that he talks about <laughs> yeah. bicycle being the most efficient. <clears throat> but even bigger than that, just the idea of... I think what he's speaking to, yes, he's, he's talking about bicycles and he's talking about computers, but he's, he, what he's speaking to is the fact that we are tool builders. So if there is, you can change the world by making one thing that's difficult more efficient. One thing. You don't need to be Steve Jobs and make computers. You can be the guy that invented the bicycle. Just... All you do is you have two gears and you have a chain around them and you pedal. That's it. And all of a sudden we're the most efficient creature in the in in the world. That's incredible. So you find so anybody out there just know that there is a way to improve the world with a single little idea. It does not have to be big. I just got this thing on the back of my phone called a pop socket that I am in love with. I think this thing is crazy cool yeah. and it cost me $10 and this thing, it's like changing yeah. my world because it, 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 it just like these little, little things yeah. that make life more efficient. In, in computer interface design, it's amazing how just making one thing a little faster or a little easier, uh, like, you know, yeah. music software yeah. uh, is, is transformative. You know, ma- making the creation of drum tracks easy opens up a whole universe of creativity to someone who wouldn't have the money for a drum set and microphones and a mixer and all yeah. all that sort of stuff. Yeah. That's awesome. It's really good clip. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks guys. Thanks for joining us, Joe. Thank you guys for having me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well guys, thank you for sticking around for this two hour episode of the Pestle. Uh please join us next week when we do Stranger Things. Until then, this is Todd. This is Wes. This is Joe. Go watch the movies. Mm-hmm.